around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Thanks for tuning in to The Greatest Discovery, a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. All right, podcast over. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Pretty beat, quite honestly. It's fun to have new Star Trek and to do a show about it. That part is still super fun to me. It is a it's a great great challenge though a different challenge than we're used to the typical challenge for us is managing to survive on a freelance video income <laughs> while at the same time making our own schedule on a on a predictable Star Trek podcast. Yeah, I was thinking, and uh, we can edit this out if you hate this idea, but there's going to be we've got a gap coming up, you know. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the next episode is the last one this year, and then they start back up early next year with Star Trek Discovery. Do we want to have like a once a month check in episode where we like get get to gabbing about uh you know thinking about what we've already seen and and talking about news that's come out about what's coming up? <laughs> you want to pivot into a Star Trek news podcast? The only thing <laughs> nerdier than having two Star Trek podcasts at all? Yeah, I'm talking about disrupting the Big Rod industry. (laughs) You know what would be fun is if we don't commit to that, but instead surprise our viewership when we feel like discussing a bit of news, uh, if news comes up. I like that. You know, we've been trying to disrupt Big Rod an industry that needs to be disrupted for such a long time. How is that working for us and Big Rod, you think? <laughs> we, are a, we are a tick on Big Rod's balls right now. Mmm, <laughs> yum yum, blood. Here, here comes the burning match head. <laughs> do you want to get into the episode that we watched tonight, Adam? Sure do, Ben. There's nothing I'd like to talk about more than uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 8. Civis Plasum Parabellum, which I think is the, uh, isn't that like the Yale Latin motto? Adam, I believe that translates as, I wonder if Seru has dangly balls. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Those are Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? Haven't the slightest idea. The show up until now has opened fairly predictably. Yeah. Uh, but this time around, we get one of my favorite show opens in any genre, which is the classic viewer dropped into a situation and the need to to sort of figure out what's happening on the fly. In this case... We are in media race. Yeah, it's, it's, it's full on battle scene right now. As long as we're doing Latin. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a really hot battle scene. Like the... There's a Federation starship that is in big, big trouble. And uh, what is it? The Gagarin? Yeah, the Gagarin's getting its ass kicked by like six Klingon ships. The odds aren't great. And Lorca decides to uh, to spore drive himself into the battle. And Ben, I'm not big on the math of anything, really, especially fights. <laughs> No, I feel like we've been having a lot of math-based conversations lately, Adam. 6v2 isn't a whole lot better than 6v1. Not going to make a dramatic difference unless the Discovery is dramatically better gunned than other ships, but I don't think that we've ever been given that uh, indication. Lorca's intent at this point is to take the fire from the Gagarin. That seems to be his strategy here. Demer, base of pattern beta 9. Acknowledged. Mr. Reese, could I trouble you to fire at something? Aye, sir. I really like how he's directing his bridge officers during the battle. This is a, this is a glimpse of Starfleet captainry that I don't think we've gotten before. Just the way that he's conducting the bridge crew throughout. It's really fun. The timing of this is good and exciting in a way that I think TNG kind of missed on a few times where like somebody would announce that they've locked weapons and and then like beats would go by waiting for them to 
return fire and uh and this seems like the captain is barking orders at them that would not necessarily be obvious things for them to do like raise shields or charge phasers or whatever uh but also like he's he's, he's like giving them directions uh that are that like you see you see the strategic uh theory that he is that he's engaging with it's also very exciting because they're they're in battle in three-dimensional space in a way that other in a way that previous forms of Star Trek battling only seem to occur in like single or du- or dual plane space. Well, it's cuz the Klingons brought all those tie fighters to the to the fight. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, battle does not exactly go as as they had hoped. The disco uh maneuvers itself in the way of a couple of torpedoes. Uh is only able to absorb one of them while the Gagarin takes the other and is full-on destroyed. And uh, that really gives the Discovery no reason to be there anymore with with it continuing to be out, outnumbered. It bugs out. And Lorca is pretty short with his, his crew. Like, the text is, we'll grieve later. The subtext is, you guys fucked up. Right. And are not up to my standards as a battle crew. <laughs> Get it together, science guys. Is that the best they could do? No, sir. That's what they did. Yeah, no kidding. It's surmised that this crew has gone on battles like this a bunch over the last few weeks. They don't appear to be getting much better. I mean, also, Ash and Saru are not there on the bridge, which is where they normally would be. So I guess you could kind of call this the B team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just doing headcanon to like explain away, explain this away. I mean, like Robot Lady gets left in command when Lorca walks off the bridge, and like, who the fuck is she even? She's got, this actress has got to be so pissed, <laughs> given how much makeup she must have to sit through every day, and then like she has no lines, and her character never does anything interesting, and is just like a total question mark. You would assume that someone with both biological and and robot characteristics would be good at their job this person does not (laughs) seem to be uh having any advantage to their mechanical components michael and ash tyler and saru turns out are on a on an away mission of their own on a planet called pavo which up until now is known to me as a disease that dogs get right yeah you gotta you gotta make sure that uh your your tardigrade is <laughs> inoculated against Pavo. Pavo is interesting because uh, it's sort of a, a a blue planet. Everything that would be green on an Earth like planet is cast blue in this place, and uh, it also uh, has a ringing noise that seems to be fairly migraine inducing to anyone who spends any amount of time there. Like a planet full of fluorescent overhead lights. <laughs> I like that it's blue. It's like, it's very much a, uh, hey, now we have digital uh, color retiming and we can just slide one thing and make anything green blue. Why don't we make planets look way weirder? I think it looks great. I think this is this is one of the best achievements of the show up until now, effects-wise. It really, it really looks photorealistic and good. It looks photorealistic and good, and it is also not the, like, obvious hills around Southern California that Star Trek away missions always take place on. Right. I mean, I guess they shot this in Toronto, right? So probably had access to some pretty cool different nature stuff to shoot in for their uh, for their away missions. This away team um, is, is sort of camping. Their mission is to find... Uh, a piece of technology that's deployed on this planet that we'll get into a little later. But I want to know more about Federation Kit in a situation like this, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we see him walking around with backpacks and stuff, but, like, I want to know how you start a fire if you're a Federation person. I want to know what the survival gear is. I want to know, like, how they were dropped off here. Did the Discovery drop them off and then bug out? That's probably what happened, right? They didn't take a shuttle. They would have died, and they would have died en route if they had. I've been I've been wanting the scene where they beam down to a planet, and we still haven't gotten it. 
We did get a planet, though, which is one thing that we haven't gotten too much of in the series so far. The away team meets the inhabitants of the of this planet, the Pavens, who look kind of like a Kool-Aid sneeze, Ben. <laughs> Just a wet blue mist. Did you ever read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books? I am going to lose a lot of nerd cred when I say that I have not. Uh, these guys made me immediately think of a of a type of alien that is des- described in those books as a hyper-intelligent shade of blue. That's them. But they also just look like the spores, you know? Like yeah. they're kind of, it's kind of like, uh, you guys kind of have one particle filter installed in After Effects. What they're hoping to do here is co-opt the technology of this planet. The thinking is that this planet's biotechnology is going to be something that they can use to detect cloaked Klingon vessels, scramble their sensors, and get an upper hand in this battle that they're waging against them. Yeah, they can use it as like a sonar to detect cloaked ships or ships with their invisibility fields or whatever they're calling them. I think Saru is sort of the best away team member ever. Like if you if you consider all of his different qualities, like his his threat radar typically is on point, and that's a good thing to have. His foot speed is amazing. It made me wonder if you could ride Saru if you had to, right? As <laughs> as like a hoofed creature. <laughs> a little later in the episode, you see him run, and it just looks amazing. He runs like a horse. Yeah, they do the things with Saru that you sort of wish they always did with Data on away missions, such as like, like do some do some impressive shit. Yeah, and just walk uses, around with a tricorder. Uses amazing qualities to your advantage. You're totally right about the Data comparison, and uh, it seems like here they're more willing to put them on display. Meanwhile, we uh, we're catching up with Laurel, the Klingon interlocutor. Who they whose face they mangled when uh, Captain Lorca and Ash Tyler escaped from Klingon jail. She's on board the coffin ship, uh, trying to talk Cole into letting her into the gang. I mean, I think that we have to assume, based on her the last conversation we saw with Vok, that she is playing. She's attempting to play Cole here trying to like apologize for having not been down with Cole from jump and is offering her skills as an interrogator to uh to Cole as like a as like tribute. She's like, I'll I'll figure out what Admiral Bob knows. Nobody interrogates like me. Nobody. She acts as if she can provide a great value to him and he sort of lets her believe at this point that that it does. Yeah, she's a really interesting character because I feel like she never, except with Vok, and maybe even with Vok, is never really saying what she's saying. You know, she's yeah. she she seems to always be playing people. Like when she when she goes into the the cell and and like you know she has her uh, carrying case full of gruesome in- implements for her torture interrogation. She like sets that stuff aside, and then it's like it's almost like she's sitting on Admiral Bob's knee, like like confiding in her and saying like I want to defect to the Federation, and I hate this. Like it's really insane, like how how much like every character that she looks in the eye, she tells a lie to. Right, like and that and that really takes the piss out of this scene for me. Like the music swells and Laurel proposes this escape asylum plan to Admiral Bob. I feel like we would care a whole lot more if she wasn't duplicitous with every single person that she talks to. You're right. I mean, it's interesting because you're like once again seeing Admiral Bob kind of taken into a ruse, which uh, (laughs) does not necessarily speak well of Admiral Bob's admiraling skills. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think... I think Laurel is the more interesting character. She's really pursuing her own her own goals, and whether Vok winds up benefiting from that or not it remains to be seen. Other than the promise of Admiral Bob surviving the experience, like there's nothing that Laurel, there's no value that Laurel provides to Admiral Bob other than a big fucking problem down the road if they happen <laughs> to survive the escape and asylum plan that she's proposing. 
waiting for someone worthy of our attention. What? Who are you? We've encountered them. Those are Klingons? We have some interesting stuff with Stamets in this episode, and it's kind of a it's kind of like a half of a C storyline, I wanna say. Yeah. But he's he's been doing the he's been doing the warp stigmata and uh and it's become clear to Tilly that Stamets is not exactly holding it together. And like he's he's confused her for the captain a couple of times and and like she's like, "Hey, dog." Like she she grabs him in in whatever the discovery's equivalent of 10 forward is and is like, "Hey, like I have an idea. Why don't you tell the medical staff, aka your boyfriend, about the fact that you are losing your fucking mind?" And He's got a pretty interesting reason for not, which is that either way it's bad for Colbert because if he tells Colbert and Colbert reports it, then Stamets gets sent back to the Daystrom Institute and, and uh, you know, vivisected and uh, subjected to study and is not stationed on the same spaceship. Uh, but if he, like, keeps it mum and it comes out later, then Colbert has committed a grave act of... Uh, medical malpractice or something and his career is over so it's uh it's the sort of conflict of interest that is the reason why modern companies frown upon you know relationships between people in the workplace you know like uh culber's totally compromised here because of his relationship to stamets like there are no decisions without victims here at this point yeah and it's that thing where it you kind of like justify it to yourself and others as a selfless act. Like, oh, I'm just mm-hmm. protecting Colbert here. But really, I think Stamets is kind of hooked on on the spore drive, right? Yeah, I mean, once you get two magic mouses surgically attached to your forearms, there's no going back after that. Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to charge those things? Only way to fly, baby. You don't seem reassured. Usually I'm, I'm pretty good at providing that. That's kind of my thing. So back on the planet, we learn a little bit about uh, first contact protocol. And Saru, the planet's really bugging him. It's it's sort of giving him a ringing in his ganglia that he can't shake. It's kind of a humble brag. <laughs> He's like, I'm stronger. I can see better. I, I can detect things that you can't detect. And this place is driving me nuts. <laughs> if you simpletons were as advanced as I am, it'd be driving you nuts, too. Michael articulates the main conflict that this away team is going to have on this planet, which is... And we can't borrow or alter their property without them understanding our objective and agreeing to it. And I haven't heard that articulated like that before by someone on the Federation. Like, that is very specific and exact. It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a subsection of the Prime Directive. Like, yeah. Like, they beam down expecting this to be an uninhabited planet with trees and animals, not with intelligent clouds of of snot right and and she's like well the first part of the prime directive is blown there's nothing we can do about that now uh so like step two is like explain what we're here doing and uh see if they would agree to let us use their giant antenna to broadcast our klingon finding signal saru seems to be able to communicate with them by Sticking his fingers, which I haven't realized until now, look exactly like dog penises, <laughs> into this blue mist. And Is this because you now have a dog? Yeah. You've been getting a good look? Yeah, exactly. That helps. That helps the <laughs> reference. But uh, he seems to be able to have communion with the Kool-Aid sneeze, and a, uh, a calmness washes over him in an awesome wave. Was this tent their tent, or was this something that the sneezes built? That seemed unclear to me, and also the thing that I thought was a campfire before is instead uh, a glowy stone. Yeah. But I wanted to see them heat up the glowy stone if that was a technology that, that belonged to them. Like, I wanted to know how they were able to set up a comfort camp. Now, if you're roughing it in the woods with a couple of your friends from your ship and some Kool-Aid sneezes, you're going to want to build a tent that's half tree roots and half magical Federation fabrics. (laughs) We're using an arabesque pattern on our fabric. 
Now, if you're roughing it by sleeping on the ground, you're going to want to do a little better than one of those inflatable rollout sleeping pads. <laughs> you would think that the Federation could do much better than that. Presumably, you're beaming down with all the equipment you'll need for an extended mission, so make sure you don't bring a bullshit bet. We get one of those top-down shots of Saru sleeping on on his, like... You know, the, you know when you go to, like, an REI or something and they have the camping supplies, there is, like, the comfortable sleeping mat, and then there's, like, the super low-rent... Uh, I'm just going to try out camping and spend the least amount of money possible before I decide to, whether or not to make this an investment. Yeah. Like, well, this is the lowest rent version that he's sleeping on. Yeah, the camera... The camera is like panning over them sleeping, and everybody is sleeping but Saru. Right. And when it goes close on him, it's clear that he's like duct taped the edges <laughs> of his bed. <laughs> like, like, is this thing falling apart? You know, you can just put that in the replicator and get a new one, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Saru like uh, reuses his mat mission to mission. It's just a matter of principle for him. Yeah. Yeah, he does not want to be wasteful. So during this this sleepless night, Saru communes again with the Pavans, and they sort of like mind meld with him. They go all up in him. Yeah. And uh, and it changes him demonstrably. Yeah, he turns into a real prick after this. <laughs> he turns into kind of a Jim Jones type. He's like, uh, he's like, you guys, I uh, I'm gonna propose a change to the mission. <laughs> but first, I'm going to need your communicators. And Michael and Ash are like, sure, Saru, we trust you completely. And they hand them over like idiots. <laughs> Saru crunches them like a couple of packs of cigarettes. No 10 dog penises have ever, have ever been this powerful. <laughs> Saru's like, look, guys, uh, I've communed with the Pavins, and they're all about peace. They've achieved peace here. They're a little sad about being all by themselves and alone. But, like, that's the cost of, of achieving peace. And I think if we just stay here, we'll be able to feel as peaceful as they. So, uh, <laughs> so I know we only came here with camping supplies for a week. I'll work on remedying that with the Pavins. Uh, just hold tight. It's going to be great. Michael and Ash kind of look at each other like, holy shit, we are super fucked. I really like the position this episode puts Michael in because it's like once again she is going to have to go like directly defy her commanding officer to save the day and uh this time it's Saru who has like has like seen her in action doing this so it's it's uh, it's very interesting to see her kind of like have to you know I feel I feel like it may not have been addressed that much in the script but I feel like Shaniqua Martin Green's performance is all about like the feelings she is having W slash R slash T uh basically mutinying the mission right. because Saru has gone crazy. It truly appears that, that he's under the the control of this higher power on this planet. At some point he comes into the he comes into the tent and uh Ash Tyler is there and Saru's like, yo man, I wanted I just wanted to talk to you about like you know what we're doing here and like I mean this is like this is really cool and uh and I just know if I know if you give it a chance like we're going to have a great life here you'll see and Ash Tyler is like Ash Tyler uses this moment to like straight talk for kids Saru and he's like look I'm I'm haunted by my past man and so if you're saying that there's a chance for me to achieve peace here, that sounds great and everything, but I don't believe it because I'm living for vengeance. I don't know if yeah. you've noticed my leather jacket and my uh, and my sort of rebellious spirit, but I actually want to visit some pain on the Klingons. I don't want to hang back in the cut and be all peaceful like you. Like, I, And I really don't believe that that's possible here. And Saru's like, look, man, I got this crystal that might unlock your heart to the idea of... of living forever on this planet. Why don't you touch it with me? Ash Tyler's like, now everybody knows that revenge is a dish best served cold. What my goal in life presupposes is, maybe it's best served hot? This is a great Saru scene because what we come to find out is that Ash is all about stalling Saru 
And in touching the crystal, it gives Saru an insight into Ash's true nature in this moment. And his ganglia shoots out and he's like, holy shit, Ash, you're just trying to stall me. Because Michael's off trying to do some some forestry shit. (laughs) Some rogue forestry. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a weird, kind of an unmotivated mind reading crystal. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. Like. The only uh, the only explanation is that this is just like some shit that is going on on uh, on Pavo, but uh, <laughs> like I don't I don't know that you can have your character magically find a big green lump of shit and now he knows what everybody's thinking, right? Like it would have been much more interesting if he just if he just saw through the fact that Ash Tyler was very obviously trying to stall him. Especially because there's nothing about the exposition that that Ash details here that is new, you know? Like, it not only stalls Saru, but it stalls the viewer and the story. Something else could have happened here that could have accomplished the same goal. I don't know. Maybe they need to have this crystal exist for for some reason. Right. (laughs) For the future, but uh, it seemed a little little bit of a, a, a deus ex crystalla. What? What's happening? What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? Back on the Klingon ship, Lorel has taken Admiral Bob out of her cell and is sort of perp walking her down a hall, ostensibly to a shuttle that they'll use to escape. Uh, when Cole catches them in the act, and Cole's like, What the fuck are you doing, Lorel? And that sort of prompts Admiral Bob and Laurel to get into a Star Trek fight in the hallway. Did you interpret this as as I mean, like I thought that it was kind of it was kind of like go along with this initially, but then Admiral Bob really does wind up getting knocked unconscious. It seemed to me that Admiral Bob is legit dead because during the fight, Admiral Bob gets held into uh, an electrical panel and gets zapped and falls to the ground. But why does she drag her body? Because she drags her body to the body room. Like, <laughs> like, like that's where you take a dead body. You stick it Is in the body what that room. that was? Yeah. I thought that she was like unconscious and that she's going to wake up and be like, okay, now I want to go to the discovery. Man. I don't know. That's how I'm interpreting it. But like you, it's sort of like, again, this is another dog comparison, but like, you know how you can wrestle with a dog and it's fun until the moment the dog decides that it's not wrestling playtime, it's actually legit fighting? I feel like <laughs> there's a moment in the fight between Laurel and Admiral Bob that it descends into true violence, where in the beginning, I think Admiral Bob probably assumed that it was, uh, that it was play fighting. The Klingons have got to be so pissed that the humans are basically just as good at hand-to-hand combat as them. It seems impossible. They're like, fuck, like we have these cool uniforms and these scary faces and you guys are skinny and weak looking. And then whenever we get into a fist fight, it's like even money every goddamn time. If you gotta win, you gotta hit. Cole's like, great, drag her to the body room. So Laurel does that. And once she gets there, she gets super pissed because inside the body room is basically all of Laurel's friends. Like... Yeah. She starts naming people that she used to know on the ship, and she's like, that son of a bitch. He's been <laughs> killing people behind my back. Those guys are chopped the fuck up, too. <laughs> They're yeah. not in good shape. Yeah, they aren't, like, bullet to the head executed. They're, like, exploded. I wish to defect. Back on planet Pavo... Uh, Saru is full-on horse galloping through the forest trying to catch up to Michael, who has stationed herself at the base of this planet's transmitter, and she's got some Federation devices that she's sort of hooking the jumper cables to. Uh, Because the whole idea is that uh, by connecting to this thing, she'll be able to communicate with the Discovery and and get rescued from the planet. Right, because because uh, their their communicators got squished, and if she can use this thing to connect to the discovery, then she's already halfway home to using this thing to finding invisible Klingon ships, and so she's like just getting it up and running. Like it's it's totally the like 
the bar inching across the screen of like finding <laughs> like finding connection to satellites. Yeah. When Saru comes in and like tosses her aside and he starts Star Trek fighting the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> like he's totally doing the like two-handed Kirk hit against the equipment a bunch of times. And uh she she winds up like shooting him with the the phaser on stun a bunch of times. Like uh uh yet again she's got a weapon pointed at this dude and is uh is uh, is telling him that uh this is not the way to proceed but she manages to talk sense into him which really surprised me because i thought he was like under some kind of mind control sway during this star trek fight saru mule kicks michael which given his hooved feet should like shatter every rib in her body. Like <laughs> this is, it looks so punishing when he does that. Yeah. It really doesn't look fun. And you're right. After a couple of phaser shots that Michael delivers to Saru, it becomes clear that Saru is not under the control of the Pavins. He is instead, he has instead seen the Pavins way as the way that he wants to live. He's finally achieved a kind of peace there that he doesn't want to give up. His whole deal is that he's always freaked out and the Poffins are all about just like peace, love, and understanding, man. And so uh, this planet has wound up being the first time he's ever had sanctuary from the feeling of being terrified. He's sort of like the, <laughs> he's sort of like the Incredible Hulk. He's always mad. <laughs> Yeah, that that would be a good moment for that piano suite from the Incredible Hulk TV show during his uh <laughs> during his exposition at the end. I mean, it takes a number of phaser blasts for Michael to take him down. There's a there's sort of a stu- a super strength that Saru has that is really impressive. He's uh he's equal parts scared and scary. His uh he's much scarier in this episode than I ever saw him as. Yeah. The other thing that goes totally unexplained in this is they're like kind of coming to a detente and then and then Ash Tyler just like shows up like a like he kind of like comes out of a cloud of Pavans. Yeah, why would the Pavans transport Ash there? I don't know. Like I guess they're easier to communicate with than Seru led everybody to believe. But that sort of indicates that Seru was lying way before he got Pavan Jesus or whatever. If the Pavan's ultimate goal was peace, like peace on their planet, peace everywhere, then I guess they must have assumed that the only way to achieve that between the three uh, away team members was to bring them together. I wish, Adam, that this was the planet that... We met Giorgio and Michael Burnham on in the beginning of the first episode. Yeah. This planet feels a little slotted in sideways for the kind of show this is. I wish it its importance had been like hinted at or or its existence had been hinted at before this. Yeah, because they sure do give us a throwaway planet in that cold open in the premiere, right? Like we're never gonna be back there again. No. Hmm. I, there's a lot about that cold open planet that sucked. Yeah. Uh, not least of which was the dialogue and the premise of the scene. But, sure. Uh, but this planet being the one that they were at would have uh, helped because this is like, like w- at the end of this episode, the the Pavins send out the send out a signal upon the request of Michael Burnham, but the signal they send out is not like the show all the Klingons with their pants down signal. It's the like, hey, everybody, let's let's come to Pavin and talk this out. It's sort of great that the shoe is on the other foot, W slash R slash T Federation politics, because like, how does the Federation like it when another race decides to uh, insert themselves into, <laughs> into a conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, there's no prime directive that the Pavans are observing. Like, their their goal is peace, and they're willing to make an effort to achieve it, whether or not you like it. Seru has to uh, has to walk away from this mission uh, at a one to one with Michael. <laughs> you know, like the the horseman is off his high horse now, 
in terms of uh in terms of like following protocol and and uh doing what the mission was supposed to be right because uh the button on the episode or the pre-button on the episode happens in sickbay and they have a they sort of have a download of the mission and saru has to cop to the idea of his his weakness weakness that he had would never have revealed before now I mean, I don't know if they're necessarily even, because Michael's <laughs> weakness resulted in the death of thousands, and uh, Saru's weakness resulted in uh, <laughs> in a little bit of a side mission and uh, some regretful language. I don't know, Adam. I mean, we'll find out in the next episode, but Saru's, Saru's weakness may in fact have resulted in almost ex- exactly the same thing as Michael Burnham's weakness. Yeah, that's fair. Do you think Saru is relieved after this at, in in the official capacity, like relieved of duty? That is a question that I cannot wait to see answered. Yeah, because he should be. That's pretty fucked. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone, to sense the coming of death. What? What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. To sense the coming of death. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming now. None of it makes sense. 
makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me. The last stuff we see on the Klingon ship is this kind of twisted scene between Cole and Lorel where she kind of she's kind of expressing her dissatisfaction. She's kind of sworn to uh she's sworn vengeance upon Cole uh earlier, but this like is pretty clearly not gonna be that scene. And uh she she's like, I'm I'm out of here. I think you're an asswipe. And um and he's like telling her that he's got big plans for her uh, as a as an interrogator. So he he kind of like kisses her into the clan in a way that seems that seems a little bit under duress for her. Like she's she's expressed her displeasure with him, but he puts the red paint of uh of the coal party on on her face. He does a little bit of the ash from evil dead first you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me, blow <laughs> kind of thing, you know? <laughs> and if Cole had uh, more charisma, like that's how it would have come off. But instead, it is uh, hyper-threatening and awful for her because she's dragged off in chains, basically. It's like it's like you're going to be a prisoner until we have somebody else for you to interrogate. Right. Pretty big backfire by Laurel here. Like, yeah. all of her moves end up being wrong. Have you noticed that? <laughs> and yet she survives on a ship where uh, that is not guaranteed. So, yeah, the up on the Discovery, they see that this come one, come all, let's let's squash the beef. <laughs> the uh, the Poffins are Minister Farrakhan, and they want the, the Klingons and the Discovery to to just get together and squash that beef. And Lorca's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this isn't not at all the signal I wanted you to send out. And Ash Tyler's like, no, man, like she told them what what she wanted them to send out. They didn't listen. Like, this is their thing, man. They're all about peace and good fifis. I sort of love that Lorca, the conclusion that Lorca jumps to is that Michael intentionally fucked it up. Like, because that sort of would be within her in keeping with her character. And it takes Ash to talk Lorca out of that way of thinking. Yeah, like she's down to defend herself, but Lorca's not listening to her at that point. Right. And, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that stuff uh, plays out in the next episode. Did you like the episode, Adam? Um, hmm. <laughs> you know, like occasionally when we review these episodes, we we use the terminology of like whether or not the episode was particularly Star Trekky. And I feel like this may be the most Star Trekky episode of the season so far, of the half season. Anyway, it was neat to be on a on a planet. It was some of the best uh, ship to ship battle that we've gotten. Yeah. Uh, the character development for Saru was really interesting to me. I guess when I add it all up, I that uh, that all pencils out into an episode that I do really like. How about you? I think I'm I think I'm there with you. I think if if I have two big criticisms of this episode, one is that it's kind of trying to do too much. Like the the Stamets storyline I feel like needs to be in there because it's been a little under addressed thus far, but it felt like a lot to have a C storyline when we've got so much A and B storyline going on. I'm starting to really notice that this show is 40 minutes long in a way that I wish we really got an extra f even five minutes I think would yeah. be very constructive to sort of like help underpin the B and C stories that we've been getting throughout it just feels overall every episode every episode to episode feels a little thin they feel thin and they just never let a moment breathe you know yeah yeah, and I think if there's one thing that I've really enjoyed about Star Trek up until now, it's that, you know, so much time is given to contemplation. There is so much time to breathe. This is not that kind of Star Trek show. Like, I I honestly, like, rewind this show several times an episode because I'll, like, look down to write a note. And when I look up, I'm like, what the fuck is going on now? And that never happens when we're reviewing uh, episodes from... DS9 or TNG. I feel exactly the same way. I've struggled in the same way also. It's tough. Hey, uh, a random question, Ben, is uh, once we finish this first 
half season. Do you think you'll go back and rewatch it given given how story dense it's been and the way that you've described? I kind of feel like I might do that. I think I will as well. I've uh, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like the 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 bingeability has been something I've been I've been wondering about. Right. And uh, I kind of feel like it has it. But, yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages that have been sneezed our way, Ben? <laughs> I really do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here in the spore drive. First one is from John Larue, and it is for Melissa Huber. Goes like this. I am so proud of the work you are doing as part of your year-long teaching position at the American School of Classical Studies in Rome. Whoa. You are an inspiration to us all back home, and I cannot wait for our next adventures together. Only a few more months, and we can celebrate our next trip together across the Alps. Love John. Hashtag married life. <laughs> wow. That sounds really great. Trip across the Alps. No kidding. Listen, listen to all the adventures happening in, in this marriage. It's fantastic. Yeah. Man, American School of Classical Studies in Rome. That sounds so cool. Ben, you've been to Rome, right? I bet this lady knows how to pronounce the title of the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I went to Rome on my honeymoon. It was very, very hot when I was there. Oh, boy. Uh, I had the opposite experience when my wife and I went to Rome. We stayed in an Airbnb, like, maybe a hundred yards away from the Pantheon. <laughs> and it was mostly rainy throughout our trip, but uh, <laughs> but a fantastic and memorable trip. It's uh, I can't imagine living there for any length of time, especially going to school there, too. Good yeah. experience. Sounds cool. Uh, ben, our second Priority One message is from Tayeba. It is for Amir, and it goes like this. Husband, I'm not even a little bit embarrassed to tell you <laughs> I love you on a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> Look at what you've done. Happy birthday. <laughs> I love that, uh, that like, the, the, com the combination of lack of embarrassment and also blame, I think, is, is great about this message. <laughs> I blame you for this. I, I was living a perfectly respectable life where I would have been embarrassed by something like this, and now look at me. Look at me. Whatever in me that used to feel embarrassment has been burned away. <laughs> uh, that is uh, two really sweet messages from what sound like two really sweet couples. And if you would like to leave such a message or get your business thing in front of uh, thousands and thousands of folks you can go to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron where a personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 bucks and they really help us uh, keep the lights on around here thanks guys thank you hey Ben what's that Adam did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda incredible drunk Shimoda I did I'm giving it to, to uh, running Seru <laughs> Because uh, you know they just you know you can't there's nothing there's no way to get around this but uh, they just speed up footage of him running and it's really funny looking. Saru like holding down the B button as he <laughs> navigates the forest like he's yeah. he's totally Marioing out in there. It's great. Yeah. It shouldn't have worked, but it really worked for me seeing him seeing his super long strides cut through the forest. <laughs> It really made me want to see someone throw a harness on him and ride him, though. Like, the idea of, like, Ash Tyler riding Saru, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would be fantastic. Uh, ben, my Shimoda's also Saru because the Shimoda namesake occurs in, uh, in sort of similar circumstances. Like, Saru is grooving all over the place after merging with the Pavo. Like, <laughs> he's basically going totally naked now except for the sweating and the fucking like the 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 manner is totally there, and uh, to me that is very Shimoda esque. So, double Shimodas for Saru. Nicely done, Saru. We salute you. What does it look like we have coming up on the next episode? 
Looks like the next episode, Adam, is the Big Big Pavo Showdown. They are calling it Into the Forest I Go, a very whimsical title for uh, an episode that looks like it's going to be almost entirely about people punching each other and shooting phasers at each other and whatnot. Yeah, I wonder if we're, this is going to be a supersized episode or another standard issue 40-minute job. I'm very curious to see what the big Mr. War fire moment is going to be, Adam, because I felt like they kind of had the opportunities to set something up with Seru being taken over. Yeah. In the in like halfway through this episode, I was like, oh man, Seru is going to be like a bad dude for the next episode and a half. And uh, and it's going to be like revealed at some critical juncture that he's been acting uh, not not on behalf of the Federation, but on behalf of the Pavans. Mm. And uh, they quickly disabused me of that idea. Right. But yeah, I feel like uh, like in in uh, classic good dramatical writing, I don't really know what's going to happen, and I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, you and me both. Give us that great big cliffhanger. Hmm. She a great big cliffhanger. <laughs> would you mind moving this? Would you mind helping me move this cliffhanger into my van? <laughs> would you hang on my cliff? <laughs> I'd hang on my cliff. I'd hang on it so fucking hard. <laughs> Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison. Produced and edited by Rob Schulte. Music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on Twitter. You can find Ben on there at BenjaminAHR, and Adam is at CutForTime. And make sure to check out the Facebook and Reddit groups to continue the conversation. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.